You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is Kurt Sumner, host for your NSPS Radio Hour. Thanks for joining us again this week. Here we're getting close to the end of the year, and we're excited about all the things that are going to be happening. And we're going to have a, a couple of weeks to the end of the year when we won't be on the air. Uh, but nonetheless, we are on the air today. So uh, I want to welcome Ben Peterson back to the show. Thank you, Ben. Yep. Good morning, Kurt. Thanks for having me. Our regular listeners will remember that back in October, uh, middle of October, Ben joined us to talk about tunnel surveying, and we spent a good amount of time talking about work Ben has done out in Washington, state of Washington, Seattle area in particular, where he lives. Uh, I learned a lot of lessons during that uh, during that episode, uh, all about the the shared tunnel underneath the city of Seattle. Um, and uh, as we were going through our conversation and having other conversations, I realized there's an awful lot of information out there, and Ben's actually done a, a, a workshop on this, I'm sure more than once, and uh, he offered to share insights with our audience on tunneling in general, not just specifically that particular topic that we were talking about the last time, uh, I don't recall, Ben, if if we decided there was anything we left out in that conversation that people ought to know about the system there in, in Seattle. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, we, I think we covered it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Ben and I have been yeah. friends for a really long time, so we get talking to each other. We're not really sure if anybody else is listening or not, right? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but thanks for coming back on the show. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no problem. This, Thank you. Uh, this is such an intriguing topic and one that, I think, by and large, we in the surveying community don't necessarily think about in terms of the the logistics of it. I mean, obviously, we know there are tunnels out there, and but I'm not sure it really sticks in our mind just how much surveying is involved in it and what kind of difference that makes whether surveying does uh, is involved. And in looking through the information that you provided, I was taken back a little bit, I guess, about just the whole history of tunneling and think, going back way far than any of us ever think to think about. I think, I believe I saw in your early uh, early slides that it was taking place like 27 B.C. or maybe before that. Yeah, the, the, yeah, I tried to trace it back and see when, you know, any significant tunnels got built that um, I guess still exist today, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we have to sort of uh, uh, differentiate here between tunneling and mining. Okay, people have been mining <laughs> right, yeah. for people have been mining for you know six thousand BC or something. <laughs> and uh, but you know mines are just a means to get to whatever product you're going for, whether it's gold or coal or silver or whatever. And then then you don't care. You don't care about right. the tunnel after that. So um, and and you don't usually need surveyors for that, but um, uh, a real tunnel is usually, it has a purpose, whether it's to transport something, whether it's people or poop, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and uh, uh, it, it has an end purpose, and it's, you know, basically designed to be a, a permanent structure. So um, that's where surveyors come in. Uh, they usually like to keep their tunnels uh, straight when they're building them, and they usually like to end up where they want to end up. (laughs) 
and that's where surveyors come in. So yeah, you know, you were talking about the whole mining thing, and I guess maybe that's become more of an issue over time. Uh, there are all kinds of old mines all over the place. I know in the part of the southwestern Virginia where I grew up, there was a lot of coal mining in particular um, that was underground, and I don't really know from a historical perspective how much work was done to keep track of where the shafts were or the the tunnels, basically. Um, but in today's world, I guess they probably try to do that more. And, and I seem to recall a few years ago, maybe quite a few years ago, there was a, a mine accident and a surveyor was involved in figuring out where the people were so they could drill down and put it actually put a shaft in, I think, to try to save them because it was blocked behind them or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there may be some, I, I haven't really been involved in mining, and maybe there is some um, uh, where they need to track uh, where the mines are horizontally and vertically, just just for safety reasons. So yeah, get I, to I think so. I, I, mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned this on, on the show with you. I think I've mentioned it maybe before on the radio show, but years ago when I was still working down in that part of the state, we decided we might want to get into under, underground mining surveying, and I went out into Kentucky and spent some time studying and, and doing some field work on it, and I decided it wasn't the right thing for me to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a little claustrophobic, so <laughs> yeah. it, it didn't didn't work so well, well for me. But, you know, you're talking about those early years, and, and one of the ones you mentioned, I mentioned the 27 B.C., that was in Italy, I guess. It, um, it is, yeah. And were were there methods then similar to what mining was, or even now what mining is to some degree? Well, it, w- it was a rock tunnel, so they were basically carving it out. Okay? I see. Um, you know, they obviously didn't have the advantage of explosives or anything like that. They were basically just chipping it out. Um, you know, they had slaves, basically, and they were expendable, and uh, they would just put them in there. And uh, one, of the, one of the common methods... Uh, uh, early tunnels was what they call spalling. So you would basically build a fire up against the the, the face of the mine where you're going to dig and get the get the rock real hot then you you you'd have these people run in with water and spray it with water and that would crack the rock. Okay. Oh wow. Now, now you just had to imagine this. You're you're building a fire in a dead end tunnel. So the, the atmosphere is not the greatest in the world. It's sucking in oxygen, but not leaving a whole bunch. It's probably full of smoke. And then you have these guys just run in with like basically buckets of water and throw it on the you know on the wall on the heated rock. And it's, I'm sure there's spray. And uh, it just had to be a wonderful job, you know. Oh man! And and yeah. I would imagine that in some cases. Well, I guess maybe I don't know this, but in some cases the, the tunnel probably wasn't a whole lot higher than it needed to be for people to get through it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they were... Uh, the the one that I, I kind of looked up and was interested in only because it's a, it's a, it's a Roman tunnel. Um, back in the early days, it's, uh, it's actually... It's, I'm looking at my notes here. It's near Naples, I guess. It's about 800 meters long, so it's a pretty significant tunnel. Yeah, it, it, right through the rock. So you're, you're chipping away at the rock. I don't know what kind of rock. Um, you know, if it's it's probably not granite. Uh, probably some loose rock, but um, nonetheless, uh, that's a pretty significant tunnel. 
and uh, it was you know based just basically for pedestrians and horses uh, and carts and things. And um, the reason this tunnel interested me is that it's, uh, they actually documented uh, how they surveyed it. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah, and so uh, which you don't find uh, you know often, and so they they had some uh, you know some old Roman. Um, I don't even know what they were called, but basically, um, uh, you know, it, it looks like a plane table, and that's your alignment tool, okay? And uh, what they uh, what they figured out that they did, the thing is perfectly level, and they figured out that what they did was they had um, they carved a, a basically a little uh, channel all the way around the outside of the mountain where they put water in. So they use water for a level. Wow. And that's, you know, apparently they didn't have good leveling tools back then. <laughs> and uh, uh, they hadn't figured out hoses yet. So um, so that was the way they, they maintained their grade to make sure they came out where they wanted to on the other end. Exactly. Didn't? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's perfectly level from one end to the other. And, and they came in from both ends, so that's pretty interesting. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So again, here, uh, much like the tunnel we talked about before, the way that they did that was just run a straight line right over the top of the tunnel, over top mm-hmm. of the mountain, from one end to the other. That's the way they kept it uh, straight. Um, you just didn't have any traverse capabilities back then. They wouldn't even have known how to calculate it. And yeah, uh, now was this a <laughs> for transportation uh, for? Carrying goods back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, or? there was apparently two towns, and they were separated by this uh, big mountain uh, right along the uh, the ocean near Naples. There, so basically, it was a cliff down to the ocean, and the way between the two towns was way back in, into a pass into the mountains and around. And so then they started building this tunnel, and actually, they only needed, uh, like I said, eight hundred meters. So you're looking at you know what? About a half mile, something like that. Wow! And uh, they just it, carved that. I, in. I mean, obviously, it still exists, but I, I'm assuming it does. Yeah. For anything. Yeah, it's still there. That's that's the other thing. Uh, it's still there. It's uh, it's probably a tourist trap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe a trap more than in, more than in one way, right? Well, uh, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but and, you know, I mean, I that's a long way out to any ventilation, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, just the the openness of it is. Uh, well, yeah, I guess it keeps air flowing. Sure, it's a pretty tall tunnel, actually. Uh, yeah, I, I saw a picture of it. It looks like it's probably. Yeah, I'm not sure why it's so tall. Fifteen feet you know? tall or something. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I'm not sure why that is. It would seem like you know you just would need maybe eight, ten feet or something. But okay, yeah. Um, maybe they. Who knows what their thinking was? I mean. It, it, Probably wasn't related to any military activities or anything, but perhaps maybe higher ceilings would uh, provide better airflow. Or I don't know. Yeah, could be. But yeah, that's, that's but quite still uh, exists today. I haven't had a chance to visit it. I would really would like to. Oh, so uh, would I. If I ever make it to Italy, I'm going to look that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not sure I'm going to walk it. through it, but <laughs> <laughs> I saw some uh, recent uh, somewhere on the internet. I saw some. Uh, recent pictures of it and it is kind of a, like they have a gate and they it looks like they you know they charge you you know whatever a couple of lira i guess it's euros now to walk through it and they probably have some uh 
you know, historical displays and, and little little signs that tell you what how it was built and stuff. So that would still be interesting. Yeah, I also looked at the picture of the little uh, plane table type contraption you were talking about. That yeah, and I don't remember the name of that, but uh, I, I I knew it at one time. But uh, yeah, apparently yeah. that worked for him. You know, apparently so. I mean, it's got pointers in two directions, and then a le- it looks like a leveler on the top of some kind. So I guess yeah, have, yeah. And I, and, I, and they must have had some kind of a little like a water well in there, I think, mm-hmm. as I recall. And that's how they leveled the the surface. You know, the the plane, shall we say? Right. So well, that's pretty cool stuff. I. Once again, as we were having our conversation before, this whole concept had escaped me somewhere, although it makes perfect sense. <laughs> it had escaped yeah. me up until we started our conversation. But uh, I, I just thought that was a cool way to start off the show and start talking about that one because it's so uh, yeah. interesting. So believe it or not, we're at our first break. So oh, <laughs> let's go okay. ahead and take that. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Okay. Sounds good. Got a Shonstead locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it, at no cost to you, to Shonsted. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.shonsted.com slash NSPS for details. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Before the break, Ben Peterson and I were talking about tunneling and early tunneling, uh, which was an absolutely fantastic topic to talk about, and I could continue talking about it because I'm so excited about learning, and I should have known this, like I said, all along, but... Nevertheless, one of the things that I guess comes up in people's minds 
when you talk about tunnels is obviously there you and you even mentioned this in our early part of the conversation that the difference between tunnels and mines and what their purposes are and and those kind of things maybe we'll talk about that a little bit well generally uh, the way that I differentiate between them is that mining is a pretty temporary thing you you you, you go in you get you know you don't really engineer the mine in terms of alignment and whatnot you just kind of go and follow the the mother load, so to speak, yep. <laughs> and um, it, you can kind of go random, and, and uh, uh, you're, you know, once you've sort of mined everything out of there, uh, then you're done. Uh, uh, whereas a tunnel is, um, you know, it's an end product that's intended to to stay there for a long time, and usually it has some transportation purpose, whether, like we say, whether that's trains or, or vehicles or pedestrians or um, excrement okay um, but um, it's going to transport something so that's and kind of the make, difference yeah and that obviously makes a lot of sense and and then when you start thinking about tunnels I'm, they're not all the same I mean they're different material different purposes or uh, people tunnel for lots of different reasons oh yeah yeah there's uh, many 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 reasons. Uh, nowadays, uh, it's pretty popular for you know light rail systems, uh, light rail and uh, subway systems uh, all over the world. Um, uh, in in these dense cities, you you really can't be disrupting the surface, and uh, you know the tunnel machines they have nowadays are, are pretty darn good, so they will definitely go wherever you want them to go, and and create the tunnel that you want to create. Um, uh, we do a lot of, uh, we, we've got a lot of tunneling going here in the Seattle area. We have one of the biggest in the world, a 55-foot diameter uh, tunnel uh, that's that's going in, and it's going to be uh, two layers um, roadway inside the tunnel and uh, right through downtown. So <laughs> it's been a little delayed, like a couple of years. <laughs> they had some, had some issues, but um, nonetheless, it's... Um, I think the largest in the world right now, but although I think there's a few that are being built or might be underway already uh, that are just a little bit bigger. So um, that's a so big when tunnel. You when you're talking about like rock tunnels versus soft earth tunnels, um, I, I, obviously they have different characteristics, and I guess they have different kinds of of perils as you're doing the work. Yeah, the uh, well, um, we're more used to soft earth tunnels around here, but there's all kinds of uh, different tunnels, uh, rock through the mountains. Um, so typically, those are uh, they'll, they'll blast, or uh, well, they'll blast. They also have tunnel machines that that will go through rock. Depends on the kind of rock. Um, they basically, just grind their way through. Um, a lot of uh, tunnels, when they're expanding them, they use what they call a road header. And so it's basically um, kind of a, a backhoe with a uh, uh, kind of a boom on it that has a grinding head that kind of grinds the head, the uh, the roof of the tunnel away. Okay, So it kind of just chews it away. That's used a lot for expanding tunnels. Um, so would that be the kind of thing they do, for example... In our area here in the Washington D.C. area, for the for the subway, the 
you know, the underground uh, transportation system? It probably more more uh, um, soft earth. Okay. Than anything, I don't know. I don't know how much rock you have there. Um, everything here is is pretty much soft earth. So you're talking more the, the the rock part if you were in a mountainside or something like that, more maybe more. Yes, so. exactly. Yeah, yeah uh, railroad tunnels through the mountains, that kind of thing, uh, pretty common. Uh, highway tunnels through the mountains. Um, that's where you're going to run across your rock tunnels. Um, I guess the soft earth ones then require more stabilization, so to speak. Yeah, the the, the soft earth ones now. Um, one of the first ones that I was involved in, basically it was a, a 22 foot, I think was a diameter. It was for, uh, it was that bus tunnel we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, basically a 22 foot diameter can <laughs> with uh, hydraulics in the back to push it forward. And then in the front basically was just a, um, uh, virtually a kind of a shovel that, that kind of dug the face of the tunnel and then so the can is constantly being pushed and uh, the uh, sort of the backhoe in the front is just sort of scraping away the the front of the the dirt and shoveling it into a conveyor system to get rid of it so it's pretty simple um, nowadays um, the one that they're they've got going through downtown Seattle a 55 foot diameter one that's a big can um, same system. It's a big. It's just a 55 foot diameter can, and hydraulics in the back to push it, and it pushes off its own liner each time. And uh, it's a earth pressure balance machine. So the front couple of feet of it, uh, they're down below the water level. So they got to keep the water from coming in. So they have the front. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that distance is, but it, maybe three or four feet is a pressurized chamber. And so the way that it works is that the the can is pushing forward. It's constantly pushing pressure against the face of the dirt. And then the front of the can is a, is a uh, uh, sort of a, a wheel that spins and grinds the the dirt and it comes into that chamber that's uh, three to four feet, and then they uh, usually they actually I think they add uh, some uh, water to it to make it sort of syrupy, and then trans you know basically suck it out using pipes. So that's pretty common nowadays. Yeah, that that kind of sounds like I, I don't know a lot about the the ones around here uh, that are underground. But obviously within the district uh, itself and, and even out in different areas, it's mostly underground. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. And then the thing I notice in those is, as you were talking about the can, is it kind of sealing the surface that's left behind as it goes? Because what I see in the, in the ones around here, it's all concrete inside. I guess they go in and put that in after the fact somehow. Yeah, the... Uh, the, the uh push forward in increments that are equal to these tunnel tunnel liner sections. Uh-huh. So okay, so they've they've pre made these uh, these sections and so to make a full three sixty circle uh in uh, that's the liner, uh maybe the, there might be ten little segments, pieces, okay, that fit together to make that. And uh, so they'll push forward 
on the previous liner, and then they push forward about, say, five feet, and then they'll pull the hydraulics back, so it leaves that five-foot gap, and you're still inside the can, okay? And then they install the liner and then push off that liner, the new segment that you just did. And so what will happen is, as they're pushing forward, of course, there's what they call the annulus, which is the gap between the uh, the can and the dirt, okay? That can be significant. I mean, it's it's steel, so it's going to be, it could be an inch or more uh, all the way around, uh, say, a 10 or in this, in the case of the one in Seattle here, 55-foot diameter. That's a lot of void. So oh, they'll, yeah. fill, they'll fill that with uh, grout so that uh, they don't get settlement and... Uh, but then what happens is uh, later on they come through and they put a, another liner, a, a solid liner, through on top of the, the temporary liner, so to speak. So they, they're kind of the finished walls of the tunnel. So from the surveying perspective, as all of that is going on, how much time does the surveyor spend on the site? Are they there all the time? Pretty much, um, uh, probably um, kind of depends what's going on. But um, the surveyor's role in uh, tunneling these days is uh, twofold. Uh, one of them's on the surface. Since you're typically going through an urban environment, there's uh, an extensive uh, settlement monitoring program on the buildings and everything that's uh, up on the surface. Okay, uh, stuff happens. Um, they hit voids, and uh, sometimes they don't get enough grout in there, and the, the you know the soil settles. Um, they get a, a just a big slump on the surface. Um, I mean, cars can disappear. I've seen, I've seen that before. <laughs> wow. Um, so that's that's a big role is the settlement monitoring on the surface. A lot of that is done nowadays. Uh, auto, you know, it's an automated process. They set up. Um, they set up uh, total stations. Uh, they're all uh, pre-programmed, and then they put prisms on all the buildings and everything, and it just runs through the whole sequence, feeds it to a uh, uh, a laptop or some way there, and then transmits it back to you know an office nearby that where it gets all processed. They can tell if anything's moving. It's pretty amazing. So obviously, it has to be. Pretty darn accurate and precise measurement, obviously. Yeah, yeah, you're down in the, you know, half hundreds of a foot, um, maybe even better than that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's pretty good. It's real good. So um, we, we do a lot of that kind of work. Um, you know, you can only set up, you can only set up an automatic system if it's sort of feasible. If it's a short-term project. Um, you know, sometimes it's better to just do it manually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of depends what their program is. Um, we're working on some tunnels right now, but um, they only need us to go monitor um, maybe once a month or something like that. Whereas a big a big tunnel through an urban environment, be the automatic system would probably be going every hour. Oh well, you know, yeah. Yeah, they'd be taking readings every hour, and of course that would be pretty labor intensive, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, I would think so. 
Yeah, 24 hours a day. So uh, uh, back 25 years ago or something, uh, when we did the twin tunnels through downtown Seattle, uh, we had uh, crews running uh, 24 hours a day. So it was a it was pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, so you were the, working under the the necessity of surveyors' uh, work order all the time. So oh yeah, not, we're we're ten seconds away from the end of our second break. Oh my so god! When we come oh, back, wow. I want to want to talk about maybe some of the underwater stuff you've seen. So we'll be back yeah. in a couple of minutes. Okay, sounds good. Attention, surveyors! Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number. 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E dot com and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Got a Seanstead locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS recognized surveyor education program by shipping it at no cost to you to Seanstead. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.seanstead.com slash NSPS for details. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You know, Ben, we were obviously been talking about tunnels and we've talked about for lack of a better term, in-ground tunnels. Uh, but there's a whole other element of this which is intriguing to me. And as I was reading through the materials, of course, one of the things that jumped out to me immediately was the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. Because oh, yeah. It's near, nearby here where I live. But there was just a, a lot of information that you, that was in there about uh, board tunnels uh, underwater you know, as well as immersed uh, tunnels, I guess that's where you sink big twos, and I think that some of that's what they did on, on that particular one. But maybe you could talk about those elements and how they're different and maybe some examples of, of un- underwater. Yeah. Well, uh, the underwater tunnels, basically, um, it's, it's a little bit of a misnomer. They are underwater, but they are usually in the, through the dirt or the, or the bed of the water is where they're carving the tunnel. Okay, um, the the English Channel, the the channel as they call it, um, that's going through a, like a chalk layer that's probably uh, uh, forty or fifty feet below the 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 bottom of the channel. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, the other method that they use quite often, um, 
good example of this would be uh, the Boston, um, the Big Dig, is mm-hmm. um, they pre-make um, these uh, oh, probably 300-foot concrete units with two tunnels in, in them, and they, they kind of uh, uh, dredge a kind of a channel, and then they drop these units down in the water, and then they just hook them together. So it's pre-made, and uh, uh, then they carve out uh, there. You know, obviously there's a water lock on each end of them, and then they they basically weld that out after they've sealed the one unit to the next. So, so in so that case, th- that type of tunnel being underground, underwater, so to speak, <laughs> or, or under surface, underwater. Um, I, I, one of the things I've always thought about is if you're doing a, a, an underwater tunnel that is maybe a tube that's... And I always kind of assumed they were lying on the surface, and it always made me wonder how do they secure that. But if they're covered by some element of the bottom of the channel, then I guess that sort of solves that problem. Yeah, they're usually trying to go through the dirt, except for these uh, pre-made um, kind of a square, you know, rectangle um, concrete chunks um, mm-hmm. that they... they Put together, uh, I think uh, bought the Boston uh, project, the uh, the Big Dig uses those, and uh, these float them out, and then they you know sink them to the bottom, and uh, then hook them up to the last segment, and so on and so on. Um, I think the Bart, I'm not sure about the Bart system. I'm not that familiar with it. I'm not sure if they they tunnel through the the you know the the bed of the bay there um, mm-hmm. to the the actual dirt that's in the bottom, or whether it's a, a kind of an immersed uh, concrete segment or not. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I, I know that uh, they're building some, they're linking up uh, Germany to Denmark across uh, like 17 miles of water, and they're using this this immersed system. Um, so it would be, uh, actually it's four tunnels in there four separate tunnels, so there's uh, one each way for railway and one each way for um, uh, cars. So so how, how long is it? Yeah, I think it's something close to 17 miles. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty significant. So if you were the surveyor on that project, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you go down in scuba gear to make it get to, make sure it gets in the right no, place? Or? No, you, you stick with, uh, you know, the part that's... Uh, Above. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much handled. I mean, when, yeah, I'm not sure how they do that. That is kind of interesting. Um, but somehow they line it up. You know, it's just like uh, uh, they use dredging, uh, you know, dredging methods, and I'm sure they got GPS on the dredge, the barges that are dropping these things down. Right. And they've, they've probably got that all figured out and probably get it aligned just right. I, 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 I mean, dredging is pretty amazing nowadays. I, I You know, we work with some dredgers around here and they they uh they've got gps gear that's just amazing and they can just line that thing up exactly they can put a uh, you know if they're installing a piling they can virtually get that within a few tenths of where it needs to go so yeah that that sounds a whole lot more complicated than uh work i was involved in 20 some years ago i guess uh setting marks for uh uh I call them posts, but uh, navigation poles that go down into, the, like, the Chesapeake Bay. 
Yeah. And, of course, we were just beginning to use GPS back, back then, so everything we did, we checked the GPS from the shores to make sure that the GPS was good. Um, yeah. maybe, I guess we've kind of gotten over that thought by now. But, but Yeah, I'm not exactly sure about Chesapeake Bay. I think that it is... Uh, it's bored through the. Uh, they built like two little islands out there. Yes, and yeah. they were, and they ran a bridge from each side, and then in the middle, uh, from these man-made islands, they tunneled down, and I think they're in they're in the, um, in the ground or the uh, the bed of the the bay there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and there's a you know there's a, a pretty significant tunnel system around Baltimore, and 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 yeah, in the harbor there. Yeah, it's amazing uh, how many tunnels there are, and here, there, everywhere, and you just don't even realize it, you know. Yeah, and and looking at the uh, the slides that you had, this is not a, a a local phenomenon. They're everywhere, all over the world. Oh yeah, and the Europeans are uh, uh, really good at this stuff because you know they have the Alps, and uh, they're just really good at tunneling, and they they sort of have no, uh, you know, reservations about, oh, yeah, let's just build a, you know, 30-mile tunnel. Um, and they they pour the money to it. So, but, uh, you know, it's all about commerce, so. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, and then the, you, had a, you had a couple of slides about the one over in, in Japan. Uh, yeah. That was, that was pretty interesting, too. I, I think it has been overtaken. Um, it was, I think, the longest... Uh, sort of underwater tunnel. It was about 33 miles, and uh, it's about 800 feet down below the ocean. So you got to have a good run at it, shall we say, to get there. You know, um, I was kind of wondering about that, and I had to look it up. And uh, so they they start the highway on one of the mainland islands there, and, and then uh, this tunnel connects both of them. But to get that run, they basically had to go five miles back and start down. You know, wow, yeah, yeah. Because you, you're going 800 feet, you can't have it too steep. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need yeah. to uh, to uh, yeah. and, and that particular that out a little bit. Yeah, and that particular tunnel, it's the Saikan Tunnel, um, connecting two islands in Japan. They, it is in the bed of the ocean, shall we say, and uh, they actually uh, use explosives to mine this thing out. So. Uh, that had to be fun. <laughs> oh yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, and another thing that always comes to mind, and I'm I'm sure there's a lot of it, but you see things in movies, and, and of course I've been to Europe for a little bit, but not extensively. And I know you have because you have family over there. Uh, I guess we all do of some of some sort. Yeah, but one way or but, another. Yeah, but but nonetheless, as you as you see parts of Europe on TV, it always looks like there's. A tunnel going through some mountain someplace for a train. Oh yeah, so, yeah. It's just uh, just amazing up in Austria and Switzerland and Italy. And they're just just honeycomb with mines up in there, or uh, not mines, uh, railway tunnels mainly. Yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's pretty interesting. Um, the the other one that uh, actually I was I visited with the uh, uh, British Columbia. And the Alberta land surveyors a uh, number of years ago I went up to their conference and uh, got to uh, uh, connecting up with uh, some of their some of their people there and they were telling me about this 
tunnel up on uh, through the Rockies, uh, basically, you know, running east-west through the Rockies, and it's actually a spiral tunnel inside the mountain. And I, I, you know, I'd never heard of such a thing. And they, uh, you know, picked up on my interest in tunnels. And so actually, well, uh, the, I think it was the president of the BC Land Surveyor, he sent me a whole book on it. And it's just fascinating uh, because they, they come in from the BC side and it's, and it's higher. And they need to get down through the mountains, through the Rocky Mountains, and come in on this other side in Alberta. And there's quite a drop, and they, you know, obviously can't just have a 20% grade. So they they actually spiraled through the mountain to to, to kind of handle the grade. That's pretty fascinating. It's 14 that's, miles. That's the Mount McDonald one. one Mount McDonald, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, where is that yeah. exactly? It's between uh, BC and Alberta. Okay. Yeah. Going through the Rockies there. So I'm assuming and you didn't hop a train and take a ride through there. Or no, I didn't. No, <laughs> I always wanted to do that trip, but uh, uh, it was pretty neat. So he sent me. A, there was a whole book on how they built this thing. And, wow, uh, it's pretty unique. And one of the one of the slides that I show when I do this tunnel presentation, you're, you're seeing the 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 train coming out of the tunnel and back up maybe. Hundred feet on the on the hillside is are some cars, and that's the same same train. Really? Yeah, because it's spiral. Well, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember looking at that picture, and and it was like box cars or something up on the grade. Yeah. And then the engines coming across looks like it's going onto a bridge or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would have never ever guessed that that was the same yeah. track. No. Wow. And so. Uh, one of the other things I was going to talk about is some of the early, uh, this kind of fascinated me, is some early tunnels under the rivers. Um, under the Hudson River, you know, New York did a lot of tunnels yep. and connect, connecting up to New Jersey and um, uh, London, uh, going under the Thames River. And so a lot of those early tunnels, they were built and they used uh, pressurized, they would pressurize the work area because you got to keep the water out. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of weight there. And so the interesting, the thing that fascinated me about it was that um, when, I, when I was reading about the Thames Tunnel, um, they had a blowout. Well, when you blow out in a pressurized environment, the, the workers get sucked up into the river Ooh. because of the pressurization. Mm-hmm. So and they actually had some people that that happened to, and they actually some survived. Wow! You know, they just blew right through the roof of the tunnel up in the yeah. harrowing experience. Oh God! <laughs> oh my! I don't think I'd be tempted to go back after that. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, that's I mean, for sure. That's, that's yeah, pretty, pretty cool stuff. But you know, and just looking at the materials you you, you were providing for me as we were talking about this, I, I'm just. We're touching the tip of the iceberg here, but I'm still astonished by it. And I'm also astonished by the fact that we're ready for our third break. So oh my. Let's, let's take that break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. All right. Sounds good. Attention surveyors. Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. 
the Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Shonstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.shonstead.com. Shonstead, the best just got better. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Got a Seanstead locator you're no longer using? Want to help a young surveying student? Donate it to an NSPS-recognized surveyor education program by shipping it, at no cost to you, to Seanstead. The factory will refurbish it to like new condition and send it on to a deserving institution. Pass your locator down the line and build on your surveyor legacy. Go to www.shonstead.com slash NSPS for details. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. During the break, Ben and I were talking about tunnels, and I told him I was intrigued by them, although I, I'm, my claustrophobia would have a, give me a hard time going into them. And you mentioned a, a scary one that you had been involved in. And so maybe you can tell us about that, and then uh, we'll finish up talking about the surveying aspects. Um, well, some of the, the more scary ones that I've been involved in have had to do with dams. And uh, uh, dams are quite, I mean, they're fascinating in themselves. Uh, but, you know, they've got the, the, you know, the water tunnels to feed the turbines and whatnot. Uh, one, of, one of the scariest things I... Uh, it, it just sent, a, sent shivers down my spine, and it was a number of years ago. I, I had a friend who was, uh, 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 he worked for uh, Seattle Public Utilities up on one of the dams up uh, in the North Cascades, which is where the city of Seattle gets most of their, their water from. Um, they had the foresight to build those back in the you know, 30s, 40s. Um, but uh, it happened to be that they were rebuilding uh, uh, one of the turbines, which they do every once in a while, and so that particular water tunnel was was turned off, and he's he kind of basically, hey, come on, I'll, I'll let's go take a look, you know. So uh, we crawled through what used to be the turbine there because they've hauled it out, and uh, uh, we start walking up this tunnel, which is about twenty foot in diameter concrete, and it's getting darker and darker and darker, and basically we're walking up to the. Uh, you know the, the the water side face of the dam, shall we say? And we get up near the end there, and uh, all we've got is some flashlights. And um, here is this twenty foot diameter concrete tunnel, and it has this giant metal, uh, what I would call a butterfly valve that they turn on the water to to hit the turbines. And there is water just shooting out all around the 
the uh, circumference of this thing, and then uh, all around the uh, the edges of this thing, they have well look like four by fours propped up to hold this valve. <laughs> and it is just pitch black, and you can hear this this water just spraying out of this thing. And uh, I'm like, let's get out of here. <laughs> How long are those four by fours going to hold? You know, you want to be able to walk out and not be washed out. Right? Oh my God! Twenty foot wall of water coming through there. Wow, it's just uh, kind of spooky. But he wanted oh, yeah. to show me this. Um, so another another interesting tunnel that I did, a little bit different, um, down in Oregon, it's called the Elk Creek Tunnel. It was something that was built by the WPA back in, the, well, I guess, the 30s. Um, and it was basically a highway tunnel. And, of course, at the time, um, cars and trucks weren't what they are nowadays. So it was a pretty narrow little uh, little tunnel. And it wasn't real tall. And so one of the problems they have nowadays is with the trucks, the you know 18-wheelers that they have nowadays, they're much taller than they were back in the 30s, I guess. And they, so they've had a lot of uh, uh, scraping where the top of the truck hits the, the corners of the of the uh, the tunnel. It's a it's a rock tunnel. And so uh, over the years, they kind of changed the the bottom uh, uh, the the beveling of the of the pavement to kind of see if they could fix that, but they still had that problem. So uh, one of the things they wanted to do was mine that out a couple of feet. And so uh, we were tasked with uh, basically mapping the roof of this rock tunnel, which, of course, is just totally uneven. Um, and uh, we used a, a device called an Amberg um, tunnel profiler. We get it, uh, I think a company in Switzerland makes it. We had that brought over, and uh, basically it just it just as a step through, and it was before any uh, real scanning equipment uh, was available anywhere in the U.S. Um, so it was something the Europeans had developed, and you basically just profile. You take a section through the tunnel, and you move the instrument forward a little bit. And I think we were doing it every two feet for. Uh, an 800-foot tunnel, <laughs> so it's a lot, of, a lot of moves. And then you could just you could put that into a computer program, and then uh, you could see the whole. You could put the uh, sort of the clearance um, frame that you wanted, and you could see at this particular location, well, we need to mine out uh, like four feet over here on this corner in order to, to meet the profile that we want. So. so did they have to cease traffic while you were in there? Yes. Yeah, we did it at night. I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had to do it all at night, and um, uh, we had lights and everything in there. Uh, we had a lift uh, to help us, and um, uh, we weren't the only ones in there. There was geotech people and other, uh, a lot of people with, you know, white hard hats, so, <laughs> as there usually that, are. I guess that process is maybe kind of similar to what they're doing in the old railroad tunnels now where the cars have gotten yep. taller. Same yep. kind of deal. Yeah, but you know now they've got the scanners, yeah. and uh, they can pretty much do it mobile. I mean, they basically run a, a little car through there with a scanner on it, and it just profiles that whole tunnel. It actually does it with greater detail than uh, we did uh, 20 years ago. So it's pretty slick. Give us your best six and three-quarters minutes edition of of 
the whole tunnel surveying business these days? Well, it's it's different, and not a lot of surveyors get involved in it. Um, but I find it quite fascinating. Um, uh, the you know the the instruments we have today they're they're pretty darn good uh, compared to what used to be. Um, so it's it's usually a robotic, and uh, usually what you're doing is you're mounting it on the side sidewall of the of the tunnel as you're moving along, and uh, you're backsighting the previous uh, bracket that you had your instrument, and basically you're traversing down the the side of the the tunnel, and you just keep moving that forward. Um, of course, the one big problem with tunnels is it's a dead end traverse. Uh, usually, right. and uh, that's always you know that's scary for surveyors. It should be. Um, if there's some way to check it on the other end, I've worked on some tunnels, um, uh, land tunnels, uh, soft earth where they actually drilled a couple of holes uh, at you know I think thousand foot intervals was what they did. They uh, drilled an eight eight inch diameter hole down. Uh, straight as they could, and that was a provided just a beautiful check on the traverse. Um, that's very comforting. Um, when you reach the other end, um, you know there's you have to hit something. <laughs> you know there is a there is a design. <laughs> um, it's really scary when the two ends are coming together, and you just you just check and double check everything to make sure that those two ends meet. Um, there is a, a couple of methods you can use a you know a north seeking gyro um, inside to kind of check your traverse. Um, pretty expensive and rare instruments, but uh, it does the job. Um, other than that, you just need to run a really good tight traverse. And so the problem with you know the problem with surveying in tunnels is um, it's usually a tight environment. It's usually moist, a lot of condensation. Here you got you know, your working space is a bit uh, restricted. Um, usually do it off times because usually they're running a uh, uh, rail cars mm-hmm. to take the dirt out at the face of the tunnel. So that doesn't work real well. The vibrations are, um, you know, not conducive to surveying. <laughs> um, so usually off hours, uh, which they you know, some tunnels there they're going. Uh, well, two shifts is is normal. Trying to get the maximum work out of the workers, and uh, uh, they'll have an off shift, so that's the one. So you're usually doing this at midnight or something, uh, or weekends or something like that. Um, you've got the environment. There's usually a kind of a almost a constant mist inside a tunnel, um, just because of the closed environment. Um, air quality is not too great. Um, lighting's horrible. Um, but other than that, it's real fun. And these are the good points, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, other than that, it's just a lot of fun. So, um, so you are looking down the road. You seeing any uh, uh, thoughts or possibilities of? Somewhere along the way, there's going to be somebody says, "Hey, let's let's put a, a tunnel through this mountain," and you're you're standing at the ready to go do the survey. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, it's uh, they're using tunnels just more and more, just because their machines are getting better. 
Um, right. I mean, they're able to dig through rock and soft earth and just about anything. Um, and, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, actually for many years now, if the dirt is too soft, meaning soupy, they freeze mm-hmm. it. And then, oh. they just, and then they just dig through it. Wow. And so that's pretty common. So, but uh, you're going to see more and more tunnels, uh, just because it's you know they can't disrupt the surface. So that's, that's the direction we're going to head. You think? Huh? Well, I think you're going to see more and more of them. Um, they're becoming just much more feasible. Um, uh, certainly, that one here in Seattle that was just because it, you know we couldn't disrupt the entire downtown area just to to, to basically dig up the street and, and put a tunnel down below it and then bury it back. You know, you just right. couldn't do that. Yeah. So, yeah. so you had to tunnel underneath. So, so that's kind of the way. I think it's it's they're they're just there's probably hundreds and hundreds of tunnel boring machines operating right now. You know, simultaneously all across the world. So. Yeah, and. I don't know if I'm atypical, but until you and I started talking about it, that's not something I think about on a daily basis. But no, but it's out there and it's and it's going on. Yeah, yeah, and it is underground, so you don't see it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like not only from the perspective of expertise and and building one's knowledge base to do this, there's also a for lack of a better term, a psychological piece of this to get yourself prepared to work in the environment. Yeah, you know, some guys take to this kind of surveying and, and others don't. You know, some, right. like you say, are maybe a little claustrophobic. Um, we, we've we worked in some, like, eight-foot diameter tunnels. That's kind of tight. Oh, yeah, tight. that would be really tight for me. Yeah, that's 20 for sure. or 30 feet, or, you know, 20 feet or something like that. That's pretty roomy Yeah, comparatively. So. Well, in our last... 30 seconds or so, I want to make sure I thank you for joining me again today. It's been fantastic to, to have this conversation about, about tunneling. It's just uh, all amazing to me, and it's, it's, uh, I really enjoy the conversation. And I want, uh, wish you guys great happy holidays, Merry Christmas, you and Lindy and the, the staff and family. hope everybody does well, and uh, you guys have a great time. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on, and uh, same to you. Have a good holidays, and uh, uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, hopefully I'll uh, be out your way. I, actually, I'm going to be at the Oregon Conference this year, so you may oh, okay. not be out there. But anyway, I'll see you sometime soon. And thanks again for joining me. You guys have a great holiday. All right. Same to you. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Take care. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.